No shame. I want to give a shout out to Tiffany too. Give me a wave, Tiffany. Tiffany's in the back. Guess what? Tiffany stood on the side of Sherwood Forest Boulevard today and flagged our bus down and said, I want to come to church today. Awesome. So we're excited to have you in the house and excited about what God is doing. Come on. Just a reminder, four years ago, we started to tell Bible stories. We always teach from the Bible, don't get me wrong, but we decided to take a month where we would look at great stories from the Bible, the Bible greats, and not trying to be redundant to those who know the stories inside and out. I was brought up in church. I know the stories pretty much inside and out. And what we're challenged with, those of us who do know those, is we're saying, take a fresh look. Act like this is the first time that you are hearing the stories. But we realized a lot of people don't know the Bible stories. And that's okay. That just means that you weren't brought up in the environment of church. And our goal is that you would know God. We want to teach you and train you. And that's why you need to be in the house. But one of the things that we want to show you from God's word, not just in the stories, but the fact of God's word itself is this. The stories, the illustrations, what we see in the Word of God is relevant for your life. Come on, their story is your story. Because we can see such parallels as we look at their stories and their lives. And again, this year it's been an awesome journey. We've kind of hovered over one person more this time. We've been looking at the experiences or the miracles, the life of Elisha. We've been going on a journey, how he burnt the plow. Come on, who put to fire some things in your life and took care of those? Come on, he left where he was and he went forward in God. We've been striking the water. I know I've been striking the water. Anyone been striking the water and saying, God, you're my God and I'm trusting you. I'm believing you to do the miracles that I've cried out for. And then last week, Pastor Pete talked about digging ditches. You're not going to see wind. You're not going to see rain, but I'm going to fill those ditches. And just the obedience that we need to have in our lives just to trust God. So we see through the life of Elisha plenty of drama, but not drama like we think of. I mean, in action, things happening as what? As God grants his request. What was his request to Elijah? He said, I want to be twice the man that you were. And what a call for every one of us. I want to be twice the person that my parents was. I want to do greater things for God than those who have gone before me. And we see this as God is granting the request, as God is moving out. And so remember this, your life starts today. Your moment is today. Don't wait for someday. Look at this statement. I wrote this down this week and I thought this is pretty profound, but we need to grab this. You don't arrive to become. We become as we arrive. So if I'm waiting to get there to be the better parent, I'm going to miss out on the opportunities of what God wants to do along the journey. Why? Because we're interested in the result. We want to arrive. We want to get there. But remember, God is about the process. God is about how we get there, dealing with us that when we arrive, whenever that will be in heaven is when we're going to really arrive. But when we arrive, that we will be Right. So we don't just say, well, when I get there, I'm going to be this. No, God wants to make us that person on the way we become as we are arriving and moving on in life. And that's what we're going to really be talking about next month. So excited about next month's series because we want to teach you how to stand firm. Do you realize we're living in a bowing world? 
We're living in a world that everything goes now, that, that the cultures are changing and it's become an attack against the church again because what's been taught, what's been, um, laws have been made in, in this world right now are contrary. They're against God's word. And as a child of God, we've got a commitment that we've got to make. Do we commit our lives to the world and to the laws of this world or do we follow God's word? And I'm telling you right now, we have to follow God's word. And we can stand true in a bowing society, in a bowing world. And we're going to be really talking about that. And we just think it's important for you to be connected and just know what's going on around us today. And know that God has called us to be the light. Come on, say with me, what's in your house? What's in your house? Not what's in your wallet, but what's in your house? I'm going to read a story today and follow along with me. It comes from 2 Kings Chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and it says this, And a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditors have come, and they have come to take my two sons away to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing, say with me, nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And Elisha said to her, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Empty the vessels, do not gather just a few. And when you have come in to your house, you shall shut the door behind you. You and your sons then begin to pour into all those vessels And set aside the full ones. So she went from him. She shut the door behind her and her sons. Who brought the vessels to her. And she began to pour it out. Come on, say with me. Pour it out. Verse 6. Now it came to pass. That when the vessels were full. When everything was full. She said to her sons. Bring me another vessel. Come on, keep it coming. Where they at? And her sons turned around and said to her, there is not another empty vessel anywhere. We've brought everything. Everything is full. Then the oil ceased. Then she went to the man of God, Elisha, and she said to him, what do I do? And he said to her, go sell the oil, pay your debt for you and your sons so that you may live on the rest. What a great story. I said, what a great story. A great story where God comes through again. Yay, God. Come on, if you're a cheerleader, yay, God. Good God. Come on. Yay, God. But what you've got to understand is this. God is working with something again. He's working with her faith. Because God commanded her to do something in order for the miracle to begin to flow. So can you picture here what's happening? Here's a widow that comes to Elisha and she begins to pour out her troubles to him. Josephus, who is an old Jewish historian of those times, he believes that this lady was actually the wife of the prophet Obadiah that we read of who wrote one of the books in the Word of God. 
But she's lost her husband, obviously lost her husband before time. He's not aged, he's not died because her children are still of a younger age. There's a loss that's happened. So obviously, tragically, something's taken place that she is now widowed. And not only is that the problem, but she owes so much money to people. Probably because maybe her husband was sick and she had to pay bills. I don't know. And all the bills of the hospital. I don't know. But she's owed so much that she's unable to pay. So the threat is this. We're going to come and take your boys away from you. They're going to work for us until the debt will be paid. Picture this lady. It's going from bad to worse. She's not only grieving her husband. She's now facing the fact of grieving the loss and the taking of her children So it seems like the great prophet would miraculously meet her need or at least offer her some encouraging words. But instead, he kind of asks her a bizarre question. What's in your house? What's in your house? Verse two. So Elijah says to her, what do you want me to do for me? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Before we get to the story, I just want to start here. Ready? I'm going to give you some points today. Here's the first point. It's outside of the story, but it's part of our story. Are you ready? The first point is this. Your need is not the only need. Your need is not the only need. Yes, it's your need. Yes, it's the need that you have, but it's not the only need that there is. And please trust me, I'm not saying this in any way to be insensitive to your need. I'm not saying this to be unkind to the struggle or the problems that you're facing because those of you who know us here, we have a heart for touching other people and helping to meet the needs of other people. But you know what I've realized is this? We've got to be very careful because sometimes we can get so lost in ourselves. You see, as a church, as I said, we have a heart and a desire to help as many people. We have a benevolence fund. We have... Funds allocated each month that will help and and try to meet as many needs as we can. But you know what? I've been told this many times. I cannot believe that you didn't help me. I've been told this many times. But you're required to help me. You're the pastor. You've got to help me. Now, this may shock you, but it's happened more than just once. I've been cursed by people because I didn't help them. You call yourself a Christian? God's going to bring curses on you for his word because you are instructed in God's word to help me. That's what people have come and said. But here's what we need to understand. Maybe you're one of those people that you've maybe been disappointed because we weren't able to meet that need for your life. Here's what we need to understand, and that is this. We would love to help as many people as we have, but we can only help to the ability that we have. And there's others that have a need too. You see, when we're in our need, all we can see is our need, but we don't realize there's perhaps another list of other people that has needs too. So what have we got to do in this state? We've got to guard our hearts from becoming cynical. The word cynical, I I love this word. It's a powerful word. and Let me define it for you. Look what it says about being cynical. It means that we get so concerned with only our own interests. And as a result of our need, our concern, what's going on in our life, we can typically disregard accepting 
or appropriate standards in order to achieve them. In other words, everything goes out of the window because I just have a need. I don't care about anyone else or what's going on. Here's my need. Forget everyone else. You just got to come. We've got to be very careful because our hearts can become hardened to people because we begin to say, hold on, I don't like you anymore because you haven't touched my need. It also makes us, they say, distrustful of human, what? Sincerity. Sincerity or integrity. Well, you just don't care. That's what cynicism will say. It will make you begin to believe that no one cares. It will make you distrusting of other people. Much like what Proverbs says in 18 verse 1, you begin to isolate yourself. And a man or woman who isolates themselves, the Bible says, will rage against all sound judgment. That's the definition of being cynical. And we've got to be really careful. You've got to guard your heart. Remember the man who had the sick daughter. Jarius was his name. He comes to Jesus and he asks, look at the story quickly, Matthew 9, 18 and 19. While he spoke these things to them, Jesus is teaching them. It says, behold, a ruler came and worshipped Jesus, saying, my daughter has just died. Other gospels say, my daughter is near the point of death. The thought really is she's not dead, but she's almost dead. He knows that if he doesn't get help soon, if Jesus doesn't come, that she's going to die. But he says these words, but if you will come and lay your hands on her, she's going to live. She'll be spared. Her life will be touched. Verse 19, so Jesus arose and followed him and so did his disciples. I've just got to stop here for a minute. Are you ready? Look how he came to Jesus. The Bible says he came to Jesus and worshipped him. I wonder how you come to Jesus. I wonder if you're an asker or if you're a worshipper. Because when we're an asker, an asker, what does that mean is we're coming to take something. You've got to give me something. But you know what a worshipper does? A worshipper doesn't come to take. A worshipper comes to give to God. I think so many times we have it wrong because we give God our shopping list because we are asking for something instead of giving him what he needs to work with to turn around our situation. Because I'm telling you right now, if you can begin to worship, your circumstances and situations will begin to change. So can you imagine the peace, the relief that he's feeling? He comes and worships. He thanks God. He asks God. God is coming. He's on the way. He arose. He's following his disciples, the entourage. They are coming. Can you see his excitement? He's, he's ahead leading the way. And he's ahead leading the way. And all of a sudden he realizes Jesus ain't behind him anymore. Yeah. And he turns around and Jesus is over here. And he's like, Jesus, come on. It's this way, but there's a commotion happening. There's a stir that's taking place. There's a delay that's happening. And in the commotion and in the delay, there's a message that comes. And the message that comes to him is this. Mark 5, 35. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher, any further. Wow, what an emotional swing. He got to the answer. The answer was coming to his hands. His emotions were built up. The joy was flooding through. Have you ever felt yourself so built up just to be deflated and let down in a moment? Picture this probably ten times worse than that because this is your child. 
your child is gone. The grief, there's no grief for a parent like a child that's been taken for them. It's over, it's done, it's too late. And it's because of her. It's because of a lady that has no business to even be out. She's unclean. She has no business to be in the crowd. She has no business to touch Jesus. I could preach about that today. She was unclean and anyone that she touched would be unclean. Who do you think you are? But hear me today, verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, don't bother him anymore, your daughter is dead. Jesus turned to Jairus and he said to him these words, don't be afraid, only believe, because I'm still coming to your house. I'm still coming to your house. You see, you've heard me say this so many times, but you're going to hear it one more time. At times, you've got to learn to rejoice with someone else's miracle on the way to your own. You've you got to praise God that God's moved in their life, even though your need is pressing in your life. And you think you're ahead of the curve because Jesus was coming to your house. But that's a commotion. That's an interruption. You can get cynical and you can get upset or you can throw your hands in the air and say, thank God he's still healing people because that means he's able to meet my need. Can you see the difference that it can make in your life? And the reason why I say all of this is because it's amazing how our pain, how our need and our hurt has the ability to make us tunnel minded. All we see is us. All we see is our pain. And we see nothing more. We don't see the hurting people that God's put beside us in the cubicle at work. We don't see the ones that we can reach out. Why? Because all we're saying is see my pain, meet my need. Why, why, why am I suffering? Why am I in pain? Can I help you with something? Here's something that I really believe that God impressed upon me. Look at this statement. When you open the window to others, it lets a ray of sunshine into your room. I'm telling you, I need the sunlight to shine into my life. And while I'm closed off and all I'm seeing is my problems and my concerns, I've got to start opening the window to see the needs of other people. But when I begin to open the, need, the window to see other people's needs, come on, my needs begins to be met as hope can come into my life. There was a story many years ago that went around before social media, it went around a mass emails. And if you didn't pass it on, you didn't love Jesus and you were going to hell. Anyone remember those things? Man, crazy. But the story was of a man who felt that, that he had been given a cross that was too heavy to bear. And one day he had the opportunity to stand before Jesus. And he said to Jesus, I just really think you're unfair because you gave me a cross that was too tough and too heavy for me to bear. And Jesus said to him, well, I'll tell you what, let me take that cross. And Jesus took that cross and he took him into a room. And when they opened the door of the room, he looked and there was every cross of every size and every description imaginable. There was beautiful, ornate crosses that were beautiful, intricate. Wow, glowing, bling, bling, wow. There was rough, misshapen, un. You know, not good to look at crosses. All crosses of all shapes and all different sizes and different designs. 
But in the corner, he looked over and he saw a cross that happened to be one of the smallest crosses and the nicest crosses in the room. And he said, Jesus, I'll take that one. Jesus walked over to the corner, picked up the cross and came back with a smile on his face. The man said to Jesus, why are you smiling? Jesus said, it's just funny that this is the cross that I already just took from you. So many times we can look and say, well, I'll go for that small one over there. But we don't realize that people are carrying a bigger cross. There's a bigger need around us. There was also a story of someone who complained about the size of their cross and Jesus gave them a saw. Anyone remember that picture? And they sawed off the length of the cross to a manageable size. But the next picture, there was a gap that they had to cross. It was a chasm that was deep. And what they didn't realize was the cross that they had on their back would have been able to bridge that chasm for them to be able to walk over. But because they cut off, there was no hope for them to make it to the other side. I'm telling you right now, it's so important that you have a heart for other people. I pray every day that God would cause me not to become cynical. I ask that God will give me empathy. I want to walk in other people's shoes. And I thought, how great a statement today that I'm walking not in someone else's shoes, but I took my shoes off to feel the pain of someone who doesn't have today. But I want to pray that God would give us such an empathy for other people that we don't get so self-centered in our needs that we fail to realize the needs of other people. Do you know the Bible says that when Job was in his distress. Job had lost everything he had. The Bible says that when he began to pray for those around him, God restored to him more than he had before. I'm telling you, there's a truth there. We've got to start praying that God would meet the needs of other people on the way to meeting our need. Amen. We've got to be reaching out to other people. Yes, you have a need, but could you be called in your need to also be the answer? To someone else's need. I know I kind of went on a detour today, but I just think it's important because we can get blinded by our need. So back to the story. Come on, say with me, what's in your hats? Verse 2, so Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Please note her answer. She said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. One translation says, I have nothing except a jar of oil. Nothing except. If there was a model for a lesser life, this was it. She's the poster child. <laughs> but it turns out that a jar isn't a bad place to start. Because what she's about to find out and what you need to find out today is this, that all God needs is all that she has. All that God needs to be the miracle provider in your life is to have what you've already got. God doesn't want nothing more, but he doesn't want nothing less. Point number two, don't just see what you don't have. Initially, all the woman could focus on was what she didn't have. But Elisha was interested in her exception and her exception became the vessel for an exceptional miracle. But God, don't allow the nothing to stop you from seeing the something that is in your house. 
If we could backtrack just a little bit, Elijah, he's the one that handed over the mantle to Elisha. So we're talking now about Elijah with a J, not Elisha with an L. Elijah. God has used him to be his mouthpiece. There's a famine in the land. God's been feeding him down by a river. The birds would bring him food every day. But the river dried up. So God says, don't worry. I've already prepared. I've commanded the word of God says a woman to take care of you. Here's where you've got to go. And she's going to be there to meet you. But a major problem arises, Rob, with the story. And that is this. It just seems like God has forgotten to tell her (laughs) that he's coming. First Kings 17, 12. So she said to Elijah, as the Lord God lives, I do not have bread because he said, go and get me some water if you would, please. And while you're going to get some water, bring me back a loaf of bread. And she said, I don't have bread. I have nothing. Say with me, nothing. nothing. But hold on. I have a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil In a jar and see, she says, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may what? Eat it and die. What a pretty negative statement. What a negative confession. I'm about to bake the last loaf and then after that we're just going to lie down and die. But here's the truth. That was the moment that she was in. That was what she was facing. At that time, that's all that she could see. And that's much like our lives because that's how we live every day. How often do we believe that we don't have enough for God to work with? Maybe it's our past. We feel that would discredit us because it's not the best. Join the club. None of us have a good past. The only good thing about our past is that we found Jesus. And if you haven't found him yet, we pray that you will today because he can change your past. He can take your past and give you a glorious future. Maybe in your past there's a divorce. Maybe you've got drugs, abuse, insecurities. We know the list of our past. And what would the enemy tell us? You have nothing that God can use. How could God use you. Look at this statement. To only see what we don't have will limit us from giving what we do have. If we're only seeing what we don't have, we will never bring and give to God what we do have. I just want to interject this because I'm a pastor and I want God to bless you. And trust me right now, I'm saying this for you, not for us. We've got to be careful when it comes to our tithe because too many of us are robbing God. And you know what we're robbing God of? The ability to bless us. Because God says, as you give, I'm going to pour out blessing. And here's the thought. I'm ready to pour it out. I'm just waiting on you. So you are robbing God the opportunity to bless your life. But here's what we say. Just like this lady. How can I give? I have nothing. I don't have enough to even... Barely pay my own bills. You know, a lady in the Bible was generous with nothing. And she gave it anyway. A tithe is one-tenth. A tithe is what doesn't belong to you anyway. So you're stealing from God. Every time you take that tithe, you are stealing from God the ability that he has to bless your life. Why? Because I'm telling you right now, when you give the tithe, the promise from God's word is, I will redeem the rest. 
In other words, God says, I'll multiply it supernaturally. I don't know how it works, but I'm telling you, 90% blessed as I've given my tithe and brought it to God goes a lot further than 100% that I'm holding on to and trying to meddle it down and figure it all out because I'm trying to meet my need instead of God saying, trust me. He said, cast your cares. Come on, cast those things on me and then I will bring about a breakthrough and a miracle in your life. But you see, many of us can't shout amen to that. Why? Because we'll never experience it because will refuse to bring it to God. You've got to give first to God so he can supernaturally bless the rest. Come on, a seed in the ground is required for a harvest. You want a harvest of blessing in your life? You've got to put a seed into the ground. One of Satan's most effective strategies is to get you to focus on what you don't have or what you used to have Or what someone else has that you wished you had. Come on, I'm preaching to you today. Why? Because he does this to keep you from looking into your own house and asking the question, God, what can you do with what I do have? You see, the secret is God doesn't need much. But God needs you to take your life to a higher level. And how he's going to do that is he wants to use all that you have. You see, here's point number three. You've got to watch for the if-then mindset. This is where many of us, unfortunately, operate from. It goes something like this. If I had fill in the blank, then I would fill in the blank. Come on, if I could fill in the blank, then I would fill in the blank. If I could sing, Pastor, man, I would sure use my gift to serve the Lord. Pastor, if I had money, man, I I sure would give and I sure would tithe. But listen to me, here's the trap of if then. We spend our time dreaming about where we wish we were. And what we wished we had and taking no time investing into where we are and using what we have. In other words, we're waiting to arrive where God says, no, I want you to be arriving. We're waiting for the result then, God. And God says, no, you start right now. And your obedience right now is what I'm going to use to produce the miracle and to take you where you want to be. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding today. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And so what we wished we had never comes because we never use what we do have. There's a saying out there. Have you ever heard this saying? Have you used it? You've got to think outside the box. There's truth in that, and it's a good thing. You know, get outside of your circumstances and your situations. But can I just say this, that no matter how much you think outside the box, you're still in a box. And we've got to be careful because if our thinking of, I wished I could have that and all those kind of things, what it does, it creates more of a frustration in the box or in the limitation, in the sickness, in the struggle that we have. So what we've got to watch with those kind of things is we begin to place our life in things that we have no control of instead of placing 
our lives in the things that we do have control of. Come on, say with me, in the box. In the box. You see, your box will never expand to accomplish the dreams outside of it until you learn to trust God in it. you got to trust God in it. You can't be a fairy tale life. Someday my prince will come. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But what are you doing to prepare if they do come or if they don't come? You're not just dreaming that one day, I hope I'm going to get that job one day. What are you doing with what you have right now? Are you giving it to God? Because that's all he needs to take you to where you need to be. I just have a little jar of oil. Come on, say with me, just a little jar of oil. Number four, stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Start to see your limitation as a loaves and fish that Jesus wants to bless. But first, you've got to bring it to him. What could that little boy have said that day when a call went out and said, we're hungry, everyone bring all the food in? What could that little boy have said that day? He could have said something like this. Well, how much is this? This is worthless amongst so many people. I mean, what's the point of giving five loaves and two fish? And we're not talking about five loaves of bread. I mean, these were little rolls. These were probably little sardines. This is a little boy's lunch. It's not like big honking fish and big loaves of bread. It was just a little, just a little Captain D's kid meal. And he had that. But listen to me. There's two choices I have. I can say, what is this amongst so little? Or I can choose to focus on just what I have and say, God, I'm trusting you with what I have. Not looking at what everyone else has and what they're bringing and what the need is and waiting for my need to be met. God, I'm just going to bring to you. My God, I wished we would get the vision of that because we're waiting for someone else to hold the door open for us. We're waiting for someone else to pick us up on the bus. We're waiting in a line for someone else as we check out our kids. And we're waiting for other people to do something that God's given us the ability to do ourselves. But we're waiting on other people, robbing ourselves and others the ability for God to bless our lives. Don't wait for others when the miracle's already in your hands. So what do you have? God asked this to Moses, Exodus 4, 11. I've got to finish. Exodus 4, 11, 1 through 3. I didn't preach last week here, so I've got two messages to do in one week. Is that okay? Then Moses answered and said, But suppose the people will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they will say, The Lord has not appeared to you. God has spoken to Moses and said, Go and liberate my people. Moses is saying, But what if the people don't know? What, what if they question? God says to him, What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Moses said, it's just a rod. That was his shepherd's staff. And what did God say to him? God said, cast it on the ground. So when he cast it on the ground, it became a serpent and Moses fled away from it. You bet he did. He freaked out because he's thinking, what has just happened? But what I'm trying to say to you right now is, you may think what you have in your hand is nothing. But God says, if you'll just cast it, on me. If you'll just sow it, if you'll just bring it, if you'll just give it, I can use it. And that staff became the means 
of the deliverance of the children of Israel because the people recognized that God was with Moses. And God said to Moses, now you go because now you know I'm with you. God says, just use what you have. What do you have? Maybe it's a ruler in your hand because you're a teacher. Use it for the glory of God. Maybe it's a computer because you're in IT. Use it. Maybe it's a hammer or a drill because you're a construction worker. Use what you have. Maybe it's your hands, Barbara, to massage people. Use what you have to the glory of God. Can I help you out? Instead of always praying, God bless me with more. Why not dare to pray? God, use what I have. Take what little I have and God, would you make it overflow? And God did exactly that. Second Kings 4 verse 6. Now it came to pass when the vessels were all full that she said to her kids, bring me another vessel. And they said to her mom, there's not one other vessel left. We've gone to every neighbor, every person in the whole city, the village, the surrounding areas. There's not one empty bucket left. And the Bible says, and at that moment, the oil ceased. No more vessels filled everything they brought. And what it filled paid for what they needed and took care of them. Verse 7, then she came and told the man of God and he said to her, notice the prophet didn't tell her, fill the pots Because here's what's going to happen. When you fill them, you can go and sell it. She's now coming back to him and saying, okay, now what do I do? And Elisha says to her, go and sell all the oil, pay your debt, and what else? And your sons will be able to live on the rest. Point number five, your miracle's in the house. Your miracle's already in the house. But I want you to notice something, how I wrote that on the screen purposely. Your miracle's not just in any house. Your miracle's in the house, the house of God. Your miracle is in church. You need to be here with your family so you can experience the miracle of God. Hebrews 10 verse 25 says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Don't be those some people who don't come to church. Your miracle is in the house. But he says, encourage one another, especially now as you see the day of his return drawing near. It's nearer than it's ever been. And what does he say? Encourage people where? To be in the house. Matthew 16 verse 18. Jesus says these words. I will build my church and the gates of Hades, hell, will not prevail against it. Come on, that's a decision Kelly and I have made. We're building our family into the house of God. We're bringing our children to the house of God. We're teaching our children to love the house of God. And you may say, but hold on a second, pastor. One of your kids ain't in church right now. You're right. One of our kids is away from God right now. But you know what we have a confidence in? You know what we have a trust in? And that is this. We have taught her the way to come home. Come on, she knows the way home. I said she knows the way home. Come on, you can't leave it up and say, I hope they know the way home. Parents, it's our responsibility. As Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, we've got to train them up. It says, direct your children onto the right pathway. 
And when they are old, they will not leave it. They may wander off it, but they'll know the way home. The Message Bible says this, when they are old, they won't be lost. Why? Because we've pointed them in the right direction. What example, what passion, what desire are you giving them? Come on, I've talked to too many people and they've said words like this. Well, where were you on Sunday? I was just too tired. I just couldn't be bothered. Had a busy week, got a busy week coming up, just not going to be in church. Had people say it's raining, had people say it's too sunny. Had people say, well, no one called me and said they missed me. When's the last time your boss called you up and said he missed you at work? You show up there, not because he calls to say. Telling you right now, listen to me, please. To fail to have your children in the house is setting them up for failure in the future. And it's setting you up for a life of heartache and pain. Joshua said these words, as for me and my house. I I don't know what the culture around us is doing. And we're going to learn some things next month. But we're going to say, we're going to stand firm. Because as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Come on, parents, you need to make that statement. As long as you're living under the roof of my house, here's what we do in this house. Here's where we go on Sundays. It's not up for debate. It's not up for, uh, 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 can we take a vote? Can we? No, no. We know where we're going. We know. Well, what if my children rebel? I don't want to force them. I don't want a man. How many times have you had to force them to go to school? Oh, yeah, but they have to go to school. Listen, they have to go to church. Listen to me right now. The miracle is in the house. But if you want and you're concerned about the fact that your kids are rebelling about church, can can I just say this? Look in the mirror first. Because a lot of the reason your kids are rebelling is because of your stinking attitude that you have to church. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house. How how, how do you act when you get up Sunday morning? Oh man, stinking church today. We've got to go there again. Come on kids, get up. It's church today. Hey, you're laughing about it, but that was a snapshot from your house. Snapchat right from your house today. And you wonder why your kids aren't excited? Come on. Come on. You need to throw open the door. My mum used to throw open the door and say this. I hated it as a kid, but she used to say, rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Then she would say in her Scottish voice, now's the time to sing and dance. That means dance and play the tambourine. They woke us up with a joy for serving God. They modeled to us the joy and passion of being in the house. Come on, kids. We've got to get up early Sunday morning because we're holding the door open for other people to come to church. Come on, kids. We're going early because we're going to make some coffee to wake up those people who need some caffeine in the morning. You know what we do in our house? We're not perfect. But you know when we're at Disney World and God blesses us to be able to go on trips? We had a great trip last Christmas. We went to the mountains in Gatlinburg. But you know what we tell our kids when we're looking out over the mountain views and we're seeing the Christmas gifts all around the trees and the blessings? You know what we tell our kids? You know why we can do this? 
Because God has blessed us because we have served his house. We remind our kids of the blessings of living to God. Kids, why are we at Disney World? Why? Because God has blessed us. And you may say, well, I wish he had blessed me like that. What's in your house? You give it to God and you believe. Why? Because your miracle is in the house. Past, present, future. Your miracle's in the house. Come on, band. You better come back because I'll preach till Monday. Every debt was paid. Every need was met. Their future was secure in the house. Let me say that one more time. Every debt was paid. <laughs> that's, that's what happens when we know God. Salvation. He pays every sin debt that we ever owed. Every need is met. The lack that you have. The family that you desired that you don't have outside the house. Now I have a family in the house. Now I have other people. Every need that I need is met. I'm feeling lonely. I've got people around me. I need help and encouragement. I need some benevolence. You've got help around you. Every need is met in the house. But more than that, now your future is secure. Thank God there's a heaven that we're heading to. But until we get to that place, God's going to take care of our tomorrow. Would you stand to your feet all over this place?